here's what's going to happen, right? One of these things is going to crash on somebody's head. And when it does, the manufacturer is going to blame the commercial operator. And the commercial operator is going to blame either their on-the-ground pilot or they're going to blame the manufacturer. And it's all going to end up in the court system with the court trying to figure out, trying to balance who is in the best position to, again, pay for what is essentially an accident. Welcome to the award-winning podcast, Lawyer to Lawyer, with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrosi, bringing you the latest legal news and observations with the leading experts in the legal profession. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Hello, and welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. This is Bob Ambrosi coming to you from uh, just north of Boston, Massachusetts, where uh, I write a couple of blogs, one called Law Sites and another called Media Law. Uh, my co-host, uh, Jay Craig Williams, is off today and won't be joining us. Uh, before we get started with today's show, let me just take a quick second to thank our sponsor, Clio, leading provider in online practice management. You can find out more about Clio uh, at uh, www.goclio.com. Well, this week, uh, listeners, I'm going to ask you to look up in the sky. Is it a bird? Is it a plane? No, it is the Superman of online retailing, Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos and his Amazon Prime Air drone racing from an Amazon fulfillment center to drop off the order you placed just moments ago. Earlier this month, Bezos, uh, appearing on 60 Minutes, raised the eyebrows of not only interviewer Charlie Rose, but also of the entire nation when he revealed the company's plans to have unmanned octocopters making deliveries within the next four to five years. As far-fetched uh, as the idea may sound to some of you, others say it is not far-fetched at all. Uh, writing in the uh, Washington Post's innovation blog, Dominic Balsuto says that FedEx has been exploring the use of drones since at least 2009 and that prototypes exist for the use of drones in a variety of commercial applications. Uh, Balsuto in his post writes, and I quote, at some point, it's possible to imagine going out to a baseball game or a music festival on a warm summer day, pressing a button on your smartphone and having a drone deliver a nice cold beer to your seat within minutes. Unless we forget the, the Washington Post, for which Balsudo writes, is now owned by that same Jeff Bezos. So perhaps we might expect to see our Sunday paper arriving by drone fairly soon. Uh, in fact, it seems that the only thing standing between us and uh, Amazon's drones may be the law. So far, the FAA bans the commercial use of drones. But Congress has directed the FAA to uh, come up with rules that would allow commercial drones within the next few years. According to the Association of Unmanned Vehicle Systems International, integrating drones into U.S. airways could be a real boon for our economy, boosting the economy by at least $13.6 billion in the first three years. Uh, and the economic benefit could exceed $82 billion in the next decade or so. Lots of jobs could come our way as well. So what are the legal issues in the commercial use of drones? We're going to talk about this issue today with a couple of guests who are going to help us think about it. First of all, I'd like to welcome to the show Ben Gilo. Ben is the General Counsel and Government 
relations manager for the Association of Unmanned Vehicle Systems International. Ben has been covering the uh, the concept of commercial drones since the beginning and uh, looking at what legislation and other requirements are necessary for us to see commercial drones in our airways. Uh, ben Gilo, thanks for joining us today on Lawyer to Lawyer. Yeah, thanks, Bob. Thanks for having me on. And I'd like to also welcome to our program Ellie Mistal. Ellie is the editor of the very popular legal blog, Above the Law. A graduate of Harvard Law School, Ellie left his life as a big firm litigator to pursue a career as an online provocateur. He has written uh, editorials for the New York Daily News, the New York Times, and appeared uh, as a guest on MSNBC and Fox News. Ellie Mistal, we're happy to have you with us today. Thanks for having me, Bob. This is a fun topic. Before we get into some of the, the legal fine points of all this. Uh, Ellie, I just wanted to start with you. You wrote a commentary at Above the Law uh, the morning after Bezos was on 60 Minutes. And uh, I think you used the word in your post, uh, terrified (laughs) by what you heard. Uh, What was your reaction when when you heard Bezos talk about using drones to to deliver our Amazon orders to our households? Yeah, look, I'm not going to lie. Robots generally frighten me, right? (laughs) I think there are a lot of potential concerns here. I'm I'm worried about, for one thing, I'm worried about privacy issues. How will these drones learn to find us? And uh, who will be in control of that uh, situation? Currently, it's, uh, I think, as we all know, it's, it's illegal to have commercial use drones for this kind of thing, but the FAA has indicated that it wants to change that. As the FAA kind of goes through the process of changing that, I'm worried that that rulemaking happens at the behest of corporate interests like Amazon and not on not at the behest of kind of public organizations. And then thirdly, I'm really worried about liability concerns. You know, right now you were, you were bringing up the example of the uh, uh, delivering your Sunday paper, and that's fun because papers are... <laughs> I like thinking about uh, about newspapers, and you know, way back in the day, you know, that paper used to deliver to you by by a kid on his bike, and if the kid threw the paper through your window, you knew whose fault it was. It wasn't the Washington Post, it wasn't the New York Times, it was the kid, and you had a, there was a way of dealing with who paid for your broken window. If an octocopter shoots a newspaper through your window, who's going to pay for that? Um, that? That seems like a lot of weird and interesting tort issues that could arise out of that situation. And, I, and again, I, I worry that those issues will be, the, that rulemaking will happen in, by Amazon as opposed to by somebody more concerned with the public interest. Well, Ben, obviously you've been following this issue and you probably were not so surprised by what you heard on 60 Minutes. I, I know that there's, drones are already being used in our airspace by government officials in some ways. I understand, I think I read recently that there are about 80 law enforcement agencies operating unmanned aircraft uh, in the United States right now. Just start us off with your initial reaction uh, either to Bezos's announcement or to the idea of using commercial drones in U.S. airspace. Sure. Well, you know, the, the commercial use of unmanned aircraft has kind of been a, a long time coming, actually, on this. As an association with the nonprofit that represents uh, the manufacturers but also the users, we've been around for 41 years, and this is not new technology. But it is new because the FAA is writing the rules right now to allow for commercial use, something that's currently prohibited. So primarily the the market for a lot of these unmanned systems has been the military or overseas where actually commercial use is currently being used. 
on a more widespread basis. So, you know, the FAA has a challenge here to write the safety rules to, to ensure that, that, that these things don't crash into other aircraft or, or people uh, on the ground. But as far as the technology is concerned, I mean, that is progressing rapidly. And honestly, this is not a question of if, but a question of when. Well, you heard uh, what Ellie just said. I mean, the FAA is writing, you know, I guess, and maybe you can fill us in on this, but the FAA would come at this from the point of view, I guess, of air safety. Uh, what about some of these other legal issues that could be raised by that? What about the <laughs> the package flying through your window and hitting you on, on the head or something like that? Liability issues. What about protections about safety? Uh, I mean, about privacy and, and security. Are you concerned at all about those kinds of issues? And who's looking at those legal issues anybody. The technology is certainly developing, but what has not really kept pace is the safety rulemaking, but also liability issues, insurance issues, you know, tort issues. So, I mean, these are issues that definitely need to be addressed, and no one really has a a solution or an answer to a lot of these questions. And so we're just going to have to see how this plays out as this technology is incrementally allowed to, to fly in the airspace. The FAA is in the process right now of selecting six unmanned aircraft test sites around the country where they're going to allow, in a confined geographic area, unmanned aircraft to fly with with other aircraft to gather safety data to to help the FAA figure out how to integrate unmanned aircraft on a more widespread basis. But I think that those test sites will also provide a good forum for, you know, best practices on how to address privacy issues, how to, you know, solicit public comment and and input on that. But then also, you know, how are these things going to be flown and commercially and, and then also, you know, how can they be insured? And and that's clearly a big outstanding issue. Is there any thought to licensing of operators? Like has there any, been any progress made in terms of, you know, I don't want once these are commercially available, should an eighteen year old be able to is that a job for an eighteen year old or is that a job for somebody who needs to have certain training um, in order to to know how to fly these or how to set these things up to fly? So there is a legal difference between a model aircraft and an unmanned aircraft. However, that definition has nothing to do with the aircraft itself. It has everything to do with the intent of the operator or the pilot. Nothing is prohibiting you from going on to Amazon or going to Brookstone or whatever and buying you know, an AR Parrot drone. It costs $300. It's operated via Wi-Fi. You control it by your iPhone or your iPad, and it streams HD video back to you. You can use that right now, and as long as you're doing it for your own you know, enjoyment or, or use, the FAA has no regulations on that. They say, if you're a modeler, you know, do it safely, uh, but we're not going to issue any rules on this. As soon as you use the images gathered from that unmanned aircraft and you want to sell it, whether it's to a farmer or to the oil and gas industry, those pictures then, you know, enter into commerce. And that's when the FAA says, well, that's a commercial purpose. And now all of a sudden, all of our FAA rules apply, and we will need to have pilot certifications, training standards. The aircraft itself will have to be certified somehow. So there's a whole airworthiness issue that goes in there. So you really have to differentiate, you know, who is using these aircraft, because nothing is going to prevent that 18-year-old you talked about from from flying under the modeler rules right now. And to my knowledge, the FAA is not looking at requiring any sort of training requirements for the modeling community. Wow. Well, Ellie, from where you sit, you, uh, in the same post that you wrote, uh, you referred to a great article uh, that was in The Guardian uh, on this that talked about the potential legal minefield. And you alluded to this in your earlier comments. What do you want to see? What would make you 
more comfortable, I guess, from a lawyer standpoint anyway, with this idea of bringing commercial drones into our airspace? Yeah, well, I think, I think two things, right? One, I really need to see what the liability shield is going to look like for the commercial operators. Is it going to be a situation where if a person is injured, and, and you know, mistakes will happen, accidents will happen. Um, is it going to be a situation where a person is injured, has the ability to go after the company, bring a tort action, and get, you know, remuneration for that? Or is it going to be a situation where every time a drone falls out of the sky, it's called, you know, an act of God, and sorry, we can't help you? I think that's a big question for me. Secondly, and, and I'm going to sound a little bit like a federalist here, which I really don't like to, but I really do think that we need to see legislation um, that treats this differently depending on where you are. All airspaces are not created the same. And obviously, from a national perspective, the FAA is great at understanding the difference between flying into JFK and flying into Jackson Hole. But once you start getting to the point where there are drones you know, whizzing around lower Manhattan, I think that requires a different kind of legislation, both for security and for just traffic reasons, than perhaps you need in Wyoming. Ben, do you agree with that? I mean, do you see uh, that this is a somewhat uh, geography-specific legal issue? There is a, a federal preemption issue here, certainly. The FAA has asserted that it has jurisdiction over the entire national airspace system and that their responsibility as a safety organization is the safety of the national airspace. So they want to regulate, you know, what's going into the air and, and being you know, sure that it's done safely. I don't know if, you know, states or localities will have any sort of legal jurisdiction over the airspace, they may be able to restrict, you know, types of uses or who is able to use these things. But I think, you know, the FAA clearly has the authority to regulate the airspace. And the FAA is looking at different areas, you know, differently. A dense urban environment like New York City or or a major metropolitan area that has big airports. I mean, there are different classes of airspace. Those with heavy air traffic will be more restrictive, and the FAA is hesitant to allow you know, commercial operations there. But right now, I'm in New Mexico attending an unmanned aircraft conference, and we're out in the middle of the desert. So you know, do those same kind of restrictions need to be here where there isn't a whole lot of air traffic? So the FAA is looking at, at those issues. Well, I thought it was interesting. I read somewhere that the video that Amazon showed of its drone that was shown on the 60 Minutes segment could not be filmed uh, within the continental United States because of FAA restrictions on the use of unmanned aircraft, that in fact it was filmed in a in an unnamed foreign location somewhere. I, I think actually that gets us into, and we haven't really touched on this, but that gets us into the kind of, I would imagine, massive security concerns, right? I mean, beyond the kind of peeping Tom via octocopter, which which is, you know, scary in and of itself. I mean, I, I think that there, when you, when you think about what can be delivered by these things beyond, you know, your Christmas presents, I think that's a whole other set of concerns and regulations that need to be kind of fought through before these things go live. Well, let's follow up on that in just a second. I've got to take a short break. We will be right back after this word from our commercial sponsors, from our commercial drones, to uh, talk more about this issue. Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack takes a look at the process of moving to the cloud. Now, how long does it take to move to the cloud, and is it a difficult process? No, I, with most cloud computing providers, moving uh, your data into the cloud is something that takes 
just minutes, not hours or days to do. You can get signed up and running with most services in just a few minutes. And uh, even if you have an existing, uh, a legacy set of data that you want to migrate to a, a web-based practice management system like Clio, there's migration tools and migration services that we're able to offer to ease that process. So most firms can be up and running to the cloud in less than in the cloud in less than five minutes and can have their data imported uh, in a matter of hours or days. We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you, and if you'd like to get more information on Clio, feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's G-O-C-L-I-O.com. And welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We're talking about the legal regulation of commercial drones. They are coming, it sounds like, and the question is how the law will regulate them. We have two guests with us today. Uh, ben Gilo is the General Counsel and Government Relations Manager for the Association of Unmanned Vehicle Systems International, or AUVSI. And we also uh, have with us today Ellie Mistal, the editor of Above the Law, who has written on this topic. And Ellie, you just raised some of these privacy issues. Ben, I'm wondering from your organization's perspective, is that a legitimate concern? Should the Does the American public have any reason to worry about intrusion into their privacy from commercial drone use as opposed to government drone use? The privacy issue is certainly an important one and something that this industry is is taking seriously because ultimately, you know, if the public doesn't accept this or doesn't want it, you know, these our manufacturers, which are our members, aren't allowed to, to sell their systems. So it behooves all of us to figure out these these privacy issues. Our stance on this is that you should, you know, laws that have been proposed at the federal level and, and at the state levels, we think they are misguided because they look to legislate or restrict the use of unmanned aircraft. And the, the real issue here isn't the aircraft. The issue is the data. This is a data issue. This is about the ability or the right to take pictures and where those pictures could be taken and how you use those, how you sell them, how you keep them, how you delete them, uh, etc. So, you know, that issue is not new for an unmanned aircraft. I mean, we all carry around GPS tracking devices in our pockets. You know, we all are, when we transit on the street, we're viewed by cameras everywhere. So the issue should be focused on the data and not the actual aircraft itself. Yeah, I guess I understand that, but it, it seems like there's something a little bit different when something can be kind of over your house or or over your yard. And, and I understand uh, there are probably technologies that can do that now, but you don't see any differences in the issues there as opposed to other forms of data use? The U.S. Supreme Court has a number of cases that they've ruled on in the last couple of decades talking about the legality of flying over property and taking pictures. And the Supreme Court has, you know, routinely held that if you are transiting in the national airspace system and you have a legal right to be there, anything that's in plain view, you know, is up for grabs. You know, you don't need to get a search warrant, you know, specific to a location if you're flying in an area where everyone else is allowed to fly. The legal issue here is what is the navigable airspace for an unmanned aircraft? And that is an issue that probably does need to be addressed because the Supreme Court, in their opinions, have looked at the FAA regulations based on safety and said, well, a helicopter 
should be safely flown at 400 feet or above. So that's what the Supreme Court uses for the police, at, at least. They say if the police are flying over 400 feet, anything in plain view is allowed to be used without a search warrant. So there is some legal precedent here, and, and this is not a totally new concept of taking pictures in the sky. Does it need to be tailored? Maybe a little bit, but uh, at least we have something to start with. Ellie, do you have any, uh, are you comfortable with that? I was just saying, are, are you, go ahead and say, I was ask you, are you comfortable with that? What's your reaction to that? No, I, I think Ben's basically right. It's just, the question is just, how will this get sorted out? You know, like, for instance, there are various laws pertaining to whether or not you can, you know, for paparazzi, how close they're allowed to be to the stars that they're trying to catch the super shot of and whatever. And, and you can think about, you know, applying those same laws, you know, that you have for a long angle photo lens to an octocopter. But you still actually have to recognize that the ability to fly over a starlet's house is somewhat different than the ability to hide in her bushes taking pictures of her and how that's all going to be sorted out. I guess the uncomfortability here, right, is that while you can imagine various things that the government would make illegal to do with commercial drones, but that doesn't mean that people kind of aren't going to do it. (laughs) And the drones kind of give them potentially give them an opportunity to do it at a much more invasive level than we have ever seen before. It's probably just going to be something that we'll all have to learn to deal with, you know, in the same way, you know, back 20 years ago, you know, not everybody had a camera and a video recorder in their pocket. Now they do. Some of them use it legally, some of them use it illegally. And we all have just are learning to deal with the fact that you're video can be captured from you at any time, anywhere. We, we've alluded to this uh the liability issue. Uh, and Ben, I'm wondering what your uh, thoughts are on that. Are there particular safety issues? Uh, I mean, is there a danger, you know, of drones falling from the sky or of uh, Amazon packages dropping from the sky? Uh, and if so, how, how do those issues get sorted out legally? Is this a standard liability issue? Uh, is it an insurance coverage issue? Uh, who's responsible there? Well, let me just take a quick step back here. I mean, I use the term unmanned aircraft system. We don't like the term drone. We think it's a bit pejorative. But the reason why we use unmanned aircraft system is that it is a system. The aircraft is a part of it, but it also includes the ground control station, how the pilot is actually flying it from the ground, and then the data link, how the aircraft is controlled, but then also how it relays the data back to it. Right now, the FAA considers all unmanned aircraft the same. It's basically one size fits all, uh, a blanket prohibition. They don't look at size or weight or risk or anything like that. So, you know, an unmanned aircraft that could fit in your hand is treated the same as an unmanned aircraft that's as big as a a jetliner and that weighs, you know, 30,000 pounds. But is the risk really the same there? You know, for a small styrofoam, two-pound you know, aircraft, does that need to be treated the same if it's only flown at a few hundred feet in altitude? It's not really in the, the navigable airspace because it's not flying where, where other general aviation or commercial aviation is being flown. So, you know, should that be treated differently? What is really the risk there? And as far as, you know, the liability issues, because there haven't been a whole lot of these things flown commercially, there really hasn't been a whole lot of precedent for this. There are some insurance companies that are looking at this market, but they have no idea what the risk is. And so sometimes you see some of these policies for an unmanned aircraft, and it, the, the premium is basically covers the entire cost of the aircraft because they don't know what the risk acceptance level is yet. I mean, here's what's going to happen, right? One of these things is going to crash on somebody's head. And when it does, the manufacturer is going to blame the commercial operator, and the commercial operator is going to blame either the they're on the ground 
pilot, or they're going to blame the manufacturer, and it's all going to end up <laughs> in a court case. And in the meantime, you know, there's somebody with a drone that crashed down on their, <laughs> on their head, and it's all going to end up in the court system with the court trying to figure out, trying to balance, and trying to figure out who is in the best position to, again, pay for, for what is essentially an accident. And I don't disagree with that at all, and that's why it's so important for the FAA to write these safety rules, because when that happens, you're going to look at, okay, well, was the pilot adequately trained? Was the aircraft itself built towards the safety standards that have not yet been written yet, but are certainly needed? And that's actually a big impediment for this industry, is that they want to know what the standards will be for safety, because until then, they're hesitant to build new unmanned aircraft because they don't know what the safety standards are yet. So, you know, it, this, is, this is all kind of predicated on the FAA doing the safety analysis and writing the rules, which was talked about earlier, they anticipate having out by 2015. And I know they're starting to put some stuff out on this. They Just last month, they published their, I guess, their first unmanned aircraft systems integration roadmap and put out some other uh, documentation regarding uh, where they look to be going with this. Uh, I know, Ben, you mentioned the fact that they're going to be identifying these test sites around the country. So uh, I guess we have to uh, stay tuned and, and watch how this develops over the coming, uh, coming years. We are getting near the end of our time for today's program. Uh, but before we conclude, I want to give each of you an opportunity to share your final thoughts on this topic and also invite you to uh, let our listeners know how they can uh, follow up with you and get more information on uh, the work that you're doing, uh, if you'd like to do that. So, uh, Ben, let's start with you. Sure. Um, again, it's Ben Gilo. I work for the Association for Unmanned Vehicle Systems International, AUVSI. We're the nonprofit trade association. We're located in Arlington, Virginia. You can find us at auvsi.org. And if anyone wants to email me, you can do that. It's my last name, G-I-E-L-O-W at auvsi.org. And I would just like to, you know, kind of in, in final comments, I mean, getting back to kind of how we started, this technology, although not new, is not yet ready, you know, kind of for prime time, and we're all waiting on these safety standards. And so, although Amazon's announcement was was very cool, and I think it has done a lot to help educate the public about how this technology could directly benefit them, is also important to note, and, and Bezos did this in the interview, is that it's still an R&D project for them, and, you know, the, the likelihood of packages being delivered to your door is probably at least five years away, if not a little bit further. So, We've still got some work to do before uh, before this becomes a reality. And thank you, Bob. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for joining us. I guess we don't have to get our helmets yet. Uh, Ellie Mastall, you get the final word today. Yeah, well, I guess my final thought is just these are certainly coming. This is going to happen. You can't stop the future. You can't stop technology. So you just need to, I, I think this is an area where lawyers need to be vigilant and need to be engaged. And, you know, if you're interested in this issue, you know, when the FAA puts out their rulemaking for comment, comment. <laughs> try to try to be a part of the solution because this is certainly going to be happening, you know, in I think most of our lifetimes. In terms of contact information, I'm very easy to find. It's just abovethelaw.com. That's where I do most of my writing. Um, you can also follow the website on Twitter at, at ATL blog I'm on Twitter, or you can follow me personally at, at LENYC on Twitter. All right. Well, Ben Gilo and Ellie Mistal, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. We really appreciate your thoughts uh, and perspective on this. Thank you, guys. 
Thanks a lot, Bob. That about does it for Lawyer to Lawyer for this week. Thanks a lot for listening today. We appreciate that you take the time to listen to our show. And we will be back in two weeks. When you want legal think, Lawyer to Lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrosi for their next podcast, covering the latest legal topic. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.